to a special bonus episode of Cinemaholics. That's right, this is a last call, which is when we set some time apart from the main show to talk about a film that we couldn't fit into our normal programming. Now, this is a first for us, though, because we're doing this last call before we do our main episode, simply because it's the only time we can do it before everyone forgets the fever dream film that is, was, and forever will be Serenity. As always, I am your host, John Agroni, and with me I have my co-captain for Cinemaholics, Will Ashton. Yeah, I feel like I'm more in line with Matthew McConaughey in this movie in that I've had a few drinks in that <laughs> I feel like everyone else in this podcast hasn't had a few drinks so far, but we'll see how things go as things go on. Either way, ahoy, Will Ashton. I, I will ahoy. gladly be your Jaiman Hansu, if that's what you would prefer. Sure, I, yeah, I'm, I'm catching <laughs> will... that fish name justice no matter what, right? <laughs> That's right, and I'm going to deliver you from temptation uh, because I already was, you know, planning on it. So, mm-hmm. we have a special guest this week. He writes about film and pop culture for ComicBook.com. Welcome to Cinemaholics for the first time, Charlie Ridgely. Hey, thanks for having me, John. I'm happy to be here. I guess I guess I'm Diane Lane in the scenario. I yeah. was hoping you would say that. <laughs> we wouldn't have to. I mean, the other option is spoiler territory, so I guess for now that qualifies. Actually, yeah, I was going to say I'll the cat. The black cat, I thought, was, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Or, but, yeah, I mean, black cat, yeah. Or Anne Hathaway, I guess. But I any, like, I'll take anyone from Serenity. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, besides Charlie taking our sloppy seconds, we are very excited to talk about Serenity on this episode because we did a Patreon poll for our most recent episode of Cinemaholics. We asked you what we should talk about, and Serenity was in a tie with Fire Festival. So we're going to be talking about the Fire documentaries in our main show. You can find that elsewhere on the feed. By the time you're listening to this, it'll be up shortly if you don't see it. But we, we after actually seeing this movie on Thursday night, I made the executive decision. I, I called Will Ashton up at 2.30 a.m. Sure. Will Ashton showed up in my trailer calling yeah. himself the rules for some reason. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and said... It will be a drunk think, episode. A drunk episode yeah, of Cinemaholics. I don't think that's out of character for me, but for this episode, it's actually pretty fitting. That's right. That's right. So we are all drinking. So before we talk about the movie, I want to know from you gentlemen, starting with you, Will Ashen, what are you drinking right now? Um, mostly vodka. I feel like that's only fitting, but um, I would I would drink why would rum it be if that fitting? was on hand. Wait, why is vodka fitting for you? Oh, that's just my drink of choice. But I was going to say, if I had rum on hand, I would be uh, splurging at that if I could. Oh, man. I do have some rum, but I just was not in the mood for it tonight. I, I'm drinking Maker's Mark whiskey, so my my drink of choice when it comes to Cinemaholics, probably. And what about you, Charlie Ridgely? Um, I'm doing kind of a uh, – I guess I'm on brand tonight because I had some uh, some Eagle Rare bourbon. Um, it's one of my favorite bourbons. And I, I live in, in Tennessee, so it's a big bourbon area here. But um, I had a couple of shots of bourbon before I started, and now I'm just sipping on – I'm on beer right now and kind of progressing a little bit. Um, and I'm drinking National Bohemian or Natty Bo, as they call it okay. in Baltimore, where I'm from. <laughs> it's a Baltimore staple. Uh, and so I got to I brought some back to Nashville with me and I'm just having a, a little taste at home. Can I um, can I ask what brought you from Baltimore to Nashville? Oh, my wife. OK, uh, we just both curious, went to school yeah. in East Tennessee and we met and I moved home for a little while. And then when I was like, I'm going to propose to this woman, I should oh, move nice. there. Um, wow. She had the steadier job. I wasn't writing full time yet. Um, I was actually working at REI and I was able to transfer to the store in Nashville. So I moved down here in 2015, I guess. Um, 
And yeah, so I got a little taste of Tennessee, a little taste of Baltimore. I'm rocking and rolling. Yeah, I mean, I've been in Nashville. It's a lovely city. I just know oh, yeah. a lot of people in our business usually go for like, oh, I was in this city and then I moved to New York or LA. Oh, it's yeah. Just like, yeah. It's, it's, it's unheard of usually for people to go from like So City to Nashville. So I was curious. Yeah, well, and and obviously he loves country music and the Grand Ole Of Island. course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't know when I moved. So I wasn't working in the industry when I moved. Um, and then when I moved here, I met uh, Brandon Davis, who, who works for comicbook.com, and he, like, comic book's based in Nashville. I had oh, no wow. idea. I didn't know that. Um, and so I, like, kind of stumbled into that after I moved here. Um, and the reason I haven't moved to it in, in New York or L.A. is because, you know, I found kind of a home with comic book here in Nashville. Yeah, we were actually talking about this before the show, but you actually know our good friend Corey Woodruff, who was on our Kid Who Would Be King, The Last Last Call. That we did, and you saw Serenity at the same time. Corey, mm. you walked out of the theater and said hello to Corey Woodruff. Worlds colliding. I love it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Corey, I've been, you know, been talking for a, a few months now. You know, we, we joined the same critic association. They launched a critic association here in Nashville, uh, the Music City Film Critics Association, last year. And so I've been kind of getting to know some more Nashville-based critics the last couple of years, and Corey and I have kind of become good buddies. We're, we're two of the only you know, younger ones in the group <laughs> so far, so we've kind of got to know one another a little bit. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to to find more San Francisco film critic friends. I've got one or two. Uh, one of them I saw Lego Movie, but literally she didn't even. She told me she was going to be there, but I didn't see her when I got to the the theater. And she literally sat right behind me and <laughs> never said hello. But she did say she texted me later on and was like, "Oh yeah, I thought about throwing popcorn at you, but I thought I'd get in trouble." I'm like, "Wow." Mm-hmm. So film critics, we're, we we definitely – this industry isn't where you make friends, I guess is what I'm Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I mean, Joey is in the same city as me, but we've never met in person. So that, that goes to show, I mm-hmm. guess. Pittsburgh is a big place, but mm-hmm. – so Serenity. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to know from you guys, first of all, I'm, I'm very curious about – because, I mean, Charlie, you sort of brought this up. The way that you sort of heard that this is a movie you should actually go see in the theater. Mm-hmm. Will Ashen – Charlie, well, I'll start with you, Will. Did you watch the trailer first, or did you go into this completely blind? I didn't go completely blind. I saw the trailer at some point. I forget when. I feel like I saw it in the summer, mm-hmm. but maybe that's my mind tricking me because this movie is so much about beaches and like exact locations that my mind is Well, there is like, the oh. beach bum, which is Matthew McConaughey. Which... No, but I feel like, because I know for a fact this movie is supposed to come out in September. September or October or something. Yeah, it was supposed to come out in September, then they pushed it to October. Then they're like, no, we'll put it in January, which always is a sign of confidence. You know? <laughs> right. uh, but no, I, I feel like I saw this trailer either in late spring or early September, but I don't remember it too well beyond like one or two uh, one or two scenes in the film. And uh, what about you, Charlie? Yeah, it was the same. I mean, I, I've seen it a couple times. I think it's it's been uh, it's been attached to a couple movies in the theater uh, that I've seen, you know, um, or like last year and then also a little bit uh, early this early, early this year, like late last year, whatever. And it just, it felt very, okay, whatever. It's a thriller. I like the actors, but I don't really, I don't think this is going to be very good. I'm not going to care about it, whatever. I kind of just put it out of my mind uh, after seeing the trailer. Okay. Yeah. I, I did not watch the trailer for this. I, I really didn't know much about it. In fact, I, I avoided the trailer because I was doing, you know, I do one, one of the columns I do for Adam tickets or Adam insider rather is a what's coming out this weekend. And I had to bring up information for Serenity. And so I was like, I guess I should watch the trailer. But then I I had this nagging feeling that I was like, I think I might actually see this. 
I don't want to watch the trailer. This feels like if it's a really bad movie, I don't want to see the trailer because, you know, maybe maybe if I go into it completely blind, I'll get something out of it that I wasn't expecting. Let's give the movie a little bit of credit, right? Like the movie has two Oscar winners at the front. I well, right, but this was earlier right in the week. Now that the buzz was I'm gonna terrible. I'm going to give this movie a lot of credit. Oh, no. Okay. So well, sorry, John. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. So I didn't watch the trailer at all. The only thing I knew was like half of the synopsis so that I could write about it very briefly. All I knew was that it's about a fishing boat captain played by Matthew McConaughey. Of course. Right. Whose ex-wife, played by Anne Hathaway, approaches him and asks him to murder her abusive new husband, played by Jason Clark. And that's it. That's all I knew. And I knew Stephen Knight, you know, directed it. And I was like, oh, the guy who did Locke. That was a pretty good movie. And like, Locke you know, is great. Yeah. It, Tom Hardy, a really, really solid film. Like, one of those, I, it's uh, the film that I wish Buried had been. I know a lot of people like Buried, but not me. I feel like I don't know what accent. Do you guys remember what accent he did in um, Buried? No, I think it was just no. American, wasn't it? Although it was probably British. No, because it, I remember wasn't. Olivia. Well, Olivia Coleman um, was one of the voices on the cell phone, right? So I forget. Probably, yeah, there was a lot of famous people on the on the phone. Yeah, but I just remember. Uh, I love doing. Um, I, I don't think it was American. It wasn't British either. But I forget what accent it was. So I, I'm not going to presume what it was, but I just remember throughout the movie, he was just like, the trolley is okay. I just remember like throughout the movie, he just did that like several times, like at least seven or eight times. Just like the trolley is okay. And I, okay. I just remember doing that throughout the movie. So that's the only thing I really remember from Locke exactly. But I do know that that movie was good. Very good. In fact, it was good. I think it was a little bit more memorable than you're letting on, but regardless, yeah, yeah that, that was everything I knew about this one. And I also want to know what your audiences were like. I went into mine and I saw this movie alone and I'm sad mm-hmm. about that. Like, this is the kind of movie I wish Maverick Hines had, you know, had been around. I, I can't imagine what that would have been like because, because I literally, th- this movie is one of those movies where I'm looking around and I'm like, I'm trying to find out. And we should say, we're not doing spoilers right now. We're, we're going to spoil the film later, but we're going to give a huge spoiler warning. So for now, Keep on listening if you, you know, if you want to be careful with spoilers, we're not going to give anything away. But, you know, during this movie, I kind of was like looking around, kind of being like, what's going on? You know, like Jim to the camera in the office. And there was maybe like 30 people in my theater. What about you, Will? Yeah, it was definitely more than I anticipated. I remember that distinctly because I went in, I was expecting like four people, like exactly like four to six people. It was like. 15 to 30 mm-hmm. uh, i just remember like like doing that i don't know if you guys know like that turn when you like go past the aisle to like see the seats <laughs> i just remember like it was like way more people than i expected i was like okay yeah we're we're doing this we're seeing serenity together and it was like at least like 15 to 30 people <laughs> so i'd say like 25 yeah yeah i had probably i had probably 30 to 40 honestly in my theater um maybe maybe 30 30 is probably a good number but i don't think it's quite as high as 40 um but yeah, I saw it with a couple of friends, uh, actually a friend and uh, his girlfriend who I just met that night. Um, I wasn't sure how she was going to be about movies because I, I, I never met her. <laughs> um, she, she was great, round. though. <laughs> she, she was great. Um, and then, like, you know, Corey and, and his buddy were there. And I found that out when I got in the theater. He, he yelled at me and I saw him up in the corner <laughs> and we talked a little bit. And I actually heard them laugh a couple of times during the, the movie out loud. I could I could pick out their voices back yeah. behind me. How can um, you not, though? 
right? Oh, no, it was great. And uh, yeah. my my row was pretty full. So like I had a dude I didn't know on the other side of me who had a really great reaction after the movie that I'll talk about later. Um, and we made a new friend, a new uh, a new film Twitter friend was like two down for me because after the movie we were talking about it. This this woman was kind of listening to us. And I'm like, what did you think? And she's like, oh, I saw this stuff on film Twitter before. I'm like, oh, you're one of us. This is great. And then she one mentioned her, she mentioned Letterbox at one point without being prompted. I'm like, okay, cool. I know I can talk to you about stuff. This is fine. Yeah, John, uh, was, what was your was cool uh, John? What was your audience reaction? Because I want to share mine briefly. Well, first of all, I do want to say, you know, I was sitting. I I got my seat. You know, like center of the theater with the railing so I can put my feet up, right? And nobody was around me. And I got there 10 minutes early, like I do. And these two guys come in. They come into my row. They didn't have to. They didn't have to sit right next to me. They didn't. They, they could have very easily still have been in like toward <laughs> the center with like a little bit of a buffer seat because I don't know you. And there's nobody on my right side. But so like to sit on my left side with no one on my right side, this is uncomfortable. And of course, the guy is like edging into my seat. I could he was like up on my cup holder. I had to move my drink. And it was just telling for the movie ahead. He also took out a cell phone a bunch of times. So that was that was a crisis. But aside from that. The audience was placid, and it, it's okay. funny. It, it's funny because uh, I, we mentioned this before we recorded. I saw a Lego Movie today, and that friend of mine I told you about she she was sitting behind me during Lego Movie. She also was sitting behind me during Serenity, and she, she does that. She doesn't tell me when she goes and sees things, and then we don't realize we're in the same theater until like the next day. But uh, literally, like, she was asking me after the movie, she was like, oh, you were in Serenity. Why wasn't anybody laughing? Because, like, she was kind of like me wondering, like, what was going on with our audience? Because, like, I was laughing, for sure. Not loudly or anything, but I was just sort of like, what is going on? Why is this happening? But, like, everyone in the theater was just mean mugging this film, it felt like. Or at least it's, like, very focused and taking it very seriously. And I'm very curious about that. Uh, Will Ashen... I want to let, let's let's give this a little bit more of a plot synopsis. We've sort of given the the broad strokes, but how would you describe this film from Stephen Knight? And what what do you make of it at this point? The plot synopsis? Oh my goodness! Um, I'll, I'll describe it as best I can from uh, like a general's place, which is from the uh, Wikipedia play, page, which is the film takes place on a fishing island. Fisherman Baker Diller receives strange villain, uh, strange visions. <laughs> Baker Diller, what was it? You said Baker. Did I mess up this name. <laughs> it's fine. Sorry. I like it better. It sounds more believable, honestly. This is going I mess so up this name already. <laughs> it it already sounds like a fake name, so I I feel like I messed it up. Yeah, you're so all is right. It, I... Is it Baker Dill? Yeah, yeah. No regrets. Sorry. So. Fisherman Baker Dill receives strange vil- strange visions. Businessman Reed Miller is chasing after Baker after urgent news. Baker's <laughs> ex-wife, Karen, suddenly re- appears and tasks Baker with killing Frank, her abusive husband. Baker arrives to have a telepathic connection with Patrick. <laughs> I, I, I feel like synopsis is already poorly written so i'm not going to go farther than that so there there you go <laughs> yeah yeah so we should say the guy who's like always trying to like run into baker dill in this movie is played by jeremy strong 
Jaiwan Hansu is his first mate. Matthew McConaughey, we mentioned, is the fishing boat captain. He really wants to catch this fish for some reason. There is this like sort of like weird bond he has with the kid, with his son, who he hasn't seen in years. And then, yeah, Anne Hathaway plays his ex-wife. And Diane Lane is in this movie as, I guess, he's like her <laughs> gigolo in this. He's definitely a gigolo. When he needs money. I say about that. They uh they have some they they have some lovemaking and it's you know with the money it's pretty gross but without it's pretty great. There's also a cat, a black cat. Uh, what about you, Charlie? We're we're not doing a great job of describing this film. I have to say. <laughs> I mean, this is the best way to describe it without its spoilers. Like this is the best way to describe the movie. It's it it's like Old Man in the Sea except drunker and <laughs> nothing I, I makes like any that. sense. Oh man. Matthew McConaughey wants to catch fish and he can't. So he drinks and yells it at Jimon Hunsao and then goes to a bar and then goes and finds a cat and brings it. Does he never pulls a knife out on people when they're like, Hey, we paid you $700 to fish here. And he's like, I'll cut you. Like what? (laughs) You're not going to cut these people. It was justice. That's my, so my two favorite lines from this movie are probably, (laughs) We haven't been able to catch any fish since your wife died. That is a of classic. <laughs> <laughs> and where can, where can I get me some of that $10 ass? Oh, oh! I forgot about that scene until you just it's, brought it up. What a script. Oh, man. But it, it all makes sense. I'll argue for it later. It all makes sense. It all makes sense. Oh, oh, um, okay, yeah. Can I read some of my favorite lines? Please, we're all ears. I'm a hooker who can't afford a hooks. I'm a hooker who can't afford hooks. <laughs> I literally, I did a double take at that line. I was like, please, somebody else in this theater knows what I'm going through right now. Because we didn't mention this, but this is like a noir film. It it has like a noir attitude. Like you're watching something out of the 40s and... It's weird in that way, but it's also idiosyncratic. I don't know. I also enjoyed He's Dead in the Water. I forget when they said that, but I wrote that in my notes. The best line in the film is just anytime Anne Hathaway says daddy. Oh, man. <laughs> I kept, I kept wondering if Jordan Peterson was like, Ugh. I kept wondering if Jordan Peterson was going to like show up on screen whenever she did that. Um, the, there, there were some awkward moments. Uh, I don't get that reference. You don't get that <laughs> okay. reference? Well, Will Ashton, that reference comes to us from ContraPoints, the best YouTube channel that exists. So I'll send you your homework later. I don't but, like uh, this trail, but I'm going to go down it. I, I brought this up with you earlier this week, I know actually. You. Yeah, I, I know mean, you did. And that's why I'm not going to go down this trail. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, okay, did you, did you, was there anything you wanted to bring up, Charlie, in terms of moments in this film that kind of caught you off guard before we get into spoiler stuff? I mean, the whole movie caught me off guard in the best way. I mean, every, every single thing that happened, which I think all makes sense now, but before you know what's going on, um, before any of the spoilers, it's kind of like, what is good? Because like the the hooker who can't afford hooks line when that happened, I was like, no, he didn't just say that, did he? Is that really what came out of his mouth? And you know, around every and when he kicked Jamon Hunsao out for like, oh, your wife died, so you're bad luck. Get away from me! Like all of these <laughs> things caught me so off guard. 
<laughs> and like I looked at my buddy JC multiple times, like, and both of us, our jaws were just dropped. Like, what is happening right and now? Jason and, like, Clark, Jason Clark playing the most abusive stepfather in Hollywood history. Oh, like, what was he, he was worse than like the stepfather from the stepfather? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, oh man, yeah. Daddy wants to catch a fish, doesn't he? Oh my god. I gotta say, um. <laughs> For a split second, like I think for like a scene and maybe maybe like a scene and a half, like I was like I thought for a second that uh, Jason Clark was Joel Edgerton. I was like, this is a weird <laughs> turn for Joel Edgerton. Like I did not expect, and I was like, oh wait, this is Jason Clark. Okay, All it, right. it was like it was like Jason Clark night for us because like the the last two trailers before the movie were movies starring Jason Clark. Oh really? And hmm. so then I told Jason, oh Jason, oh so Pet movie Cemetery. Is Pet Cemetery and that one with Keira Knightley and uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Oh yeah, oh the boys. aftermath. Yeah, yeah, they were all like it was those two, and then the movie. It was like all the Jason Clark I could handle all at one time. It's like I need to go watch Planet of the Apes now. I guess like it's just this is how this night has gone. <laughs> the dawn, dawn, Jason Clark. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, uh, this is a weird one, and there really isn't much else we can say without really spoiling like what contextualizes this movie. But before we jump into the spoiler zone, starting with you, Will Ashen, do you uh-huh. recommend this movie? Like, and it, I would imagine I'm going to predict that you're going to say for some people it's worth a watch for some people. It isn't. I think that's probably the logical choice, but can you get into some detail on that? And yeah, but before if cuz I have a feeling a lot of people are listening now, they're going to stop listening because they don't want to hear the spoilers. For those people, what would you say to them? This is your chance. Are you taking my job? <laughs> I'm literally um, asking. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, sir. Um I would say if you expect a good movie, no, don't see this film. <laughs> like if you expect any film of any critical merit, I would oh. not see this film, but I would say that if you want to have like a fun time and you didn't hear any spoilers until this point, which I mean, if you're like, OK, it's going to be like a stupid, silly movie with two A-list stars doing a film that's below their pay grade, then sure. Yes, I would 100 percent say like if you want a film that's like um, Welcome to Morrowind crazy, 100 percent. Yeah, check this out. It's going to be out of theaters pretty soon. So get your tickets now, I guess. But. Um, yeah, I would say if you want something silly in that regard, then check it out. But otherwise, if you expect a good film, then no. I would say if you want to watch a, this is to me, one of those so bad, it's good films in the sense that it's, it's only worth checking out if you can, you know, watch it with some friends, for example. Um, if you can watch it while drinking and like having a good time, even if you're watching it sober and laughing at it with your friends, whatever. You know, like it's a good bad movie night kind of flick in the mm-hmm. sense that it's so out there and it, it swings so hard for people who appreciate the swings and consider it good for those reasons. That's great. But for most people, I think that they're going to come out of it being like, that was the worst movie I ever saw. I'm so glad I saw it. That, that's my takeaway. But what about you, Charlie? See, I'm on the other side of this this fence. I think this movie is actually good. I think it's very good because I think everything... Okay. In context, once you, which we'll talk about, like when you think back through everything that was like bad about the movie, it all makes total sense and it's all very, very intentional. Um, in a weird, terrible way, uh, like Stephen Knight did exactly what he wanted to do, whether for good or bad reasons. 
Um, so I think it's actually good and the people should watch it, but I think they should watch the trailer first. This is one of the only times I will say, watch the trailer first because really? the trailer, why, paints, why is that? It paints such a different picture. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I get what you're saying in one regard. Like I, like as I was watching the movie, I was like, okay, what's up with this? And then like the twist answers it in one regard. Mm-hmm. But like, as I was watching, it's like, then wait, like I have 50,000 other questions. <laughs> As I'm watching oh. this movie now, because of that we'll, twist. We'll, we'll address oh. it. We'll address it. We'll ask. We'll right. argue right. about it later. Um, but okay, that is your that is your drop off point. Let's do our grades so that if you don't want to get spoiled, you can stop listening. My grade is an I, which stands for incomplete. Not the film is incomplete, but I'm incomplete. I I am not a whole enough person to assign any sort of grade to this film. The first time in Cinemaholics history, I'm not grading a film. I refuse to because this film, to me, is not gradable. There's no criteria I can grade it against. I will say what my opinion is on it, and I will describe it to people, and I will try do my best to inform our listeners, you know, who I think will probably get the most out of this. But in terms of A, B, C, D, F, I, I can't. I, I, I am not capable enough to do such a thing. So for where I have failed in this regard, Will Ashen, what, what say you? Um, for me, it's not quite there, only since, like, it's not quite a room or birdemic quite disaster, where I'm like, I can't grade this on objectable terms, or like a Neil Breen mover. It's like, I can't logically assess the movie on that regard. I think, for me, it's like, objectively, I feel like it's like a C-, minus, I guess, but I can understand where you're coming from, where quality-wise, and as far as my experience of film, like, I had a blast watching it, so like I was entertained. But I mean, I can't, uh, I can't say that it's a film by any stretch of the imagination. Hmm. And then Charlie, see, I, I feel like I've been in the kind of the same. I even commented on your review, John. I feel like I'm, I'm in that. I don't know how to grade it after I saw it, but the I've, th- I've literally thought about nothing but Serenity for the past two days. Um, and the more I think about it, like I'm just going to go out on a limb and I'm just going to go with my heart on this. Uh, I think Serenity's great. I'm going to give it a B plus because I think that wow. everything is so intentional and executed for better or for worse, exactly how it was intended to be. And if you buy the twist, it's an awesome movie. I respect it. This is this is why this is my hill I'm dying for. on. Like, oh, I respect it. Serenity's my hill. Not being ironic, I hundred percent respect it. This is what we live for on Cinemaholics. So I I am so curious to dive into your brain. For this, Corey or um, <laughs> Charlie. Oh, oh, oh no! I knew I was gonna do it. I knew it. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so spoilers from here on out. If you do not want to be spoiled on Serenity, and I don't think you should. I, I I'll, at the same time, I can imagine if you know the spoiler going into this, you probably still can maybe get something out of it. But it it is one of my favorite movie experiences is sitting in this movie and just realizing what it's a what it is right and i know some people have said that they see the twist completely coming you know a mile away and they still get a kick out of it i've seen that a few places so i won't say that it will ruin your experience but i do advise you to go in as as fresh as possible because i did and i'm glad i did so spoilers from here on out let's talk about serenity spoilers (laughs) lifted now now, Charlie, I want you to try to explain this since you are the one who is going to defend this twist. 
and how it, for you, justifies all of those mm-hmm. terrible things we were talking about. We didn't go into detail, but we're about to. W- what is this twist, and w- why did it improve the film, in your opinion? All right, so this this is the craziest thing I'm ever going to like try to put into words. I don't know how I'm going to even do it. So the whole movie's not real. Um, there's There's teases early on that something bigger is happening i thought for a while it was some kind of like afterlife situation kind of i i had um black mirrors uh san junipero stuck in my head for a long time when i was trying to figure out what the twist was i was thinking something along those lines um but basically we mentioned patrick his son um matthew mcconaughey's character is not real he died in uh in afghanistan i believe um in iraq i think yeah right yeah i think it was iraq yeah he died in the middle east um at war and his son, who is very um, introverted, um, very uh, socially uncomfortable, um, he was he's very brilliant, a gifted programmer. He basically takes this fishing game and like reprograms it to add his dad in as a character. And that's how he copes with his dad's death and feels close to his dad. He basically created his dad again in this computer and everything happening. The, the businessman chasing him is the rules because in real life Patrick's mom who really is Anne Hathaway is getting abused over and over and over again by his new stepfather Jason Clark um he's also getting abused by Jason Clark who does not understand him at all and he is trying so hard not to like you know he's trying to escape the world but he can't so he's kind of coping with real life by writing his scenario into his game. And he writes this scenario into his game by his dad being the hero and killing his stepfather, basically freeing his mother and himself. And as that twist is unfolding, we see it cuts to Patrick in real life back and forth. And as McConaughey finally, (laughs) finally kills Jason Clark in the game, Patrick goes and stabs his dad or stepdad in real life because he's been abusing his mother for years and tries to free him. And we kind of see that Patrick gets, you know, uh, he gets let off because his mom said it was self-defense and all this stuff. And, and then he makes a new game and rewrites it. So his dad can be together because him and his dad can be together because in his mind, this is where his dad exists because his dad no longer exists in the real world. And it's a great commentary on our connection to technology and also coping with loss and how different people attack different things. And um, it's a crazy, ridiculous weird twist but if you buy it 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 really lines up the whole movie and really makes the whole movie all make sense but it is just i i tried to figure out what the twist was the whole time i wish i didn't even know there was a twist because i would have been shocked but if i didn't know there was a twist i probably wouldn't have seen the movie so it's kind of a catch-22 there but it is one of the weirdest most ridiculous twists i have ever seen in a movie and i am totally here for it yeah i, I will say the part of the twist that i saw coming was I was convinced it was sane elsewhere in the sense that it was Patrick's mind. Like what we were seeing was a fantasy. I did not see it coming that it was a video game. Like that completely caught me off guard because who plays a video game for fishing? Like that, that just, to me, a big issue I have with the twist is that it's kind of dumb that a kid would create like a fishing video game. There's something about it. That's, again, why I wanted to see with this Maverick Hines. He is the most enthusiastic fisher I know, mm. and I think he would have gotten a real kick out of that. Regardless, exactly, I do want to yeah. say, I 
I really, I, I haven't been able to say this because it sort of spoils the film, maybe to some people, but my alternative name for this film is Bandercatch. Um, I don't know. Is that okay? I know Will hasn't watched Bandersnatch, so I don't think that. Oh, he I've had... watched way too much Bandersnatch. Okay, yeah, I didn't think Will could like fully appreciate that. Um, no, but anyway. But okay, so that is the twist. It 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 tries to like explain. Oh, the dialogue was weird because the characters are NPCs. Like everything yeah. is ridiculous because it's the mind of a child, and also. Like Will said, it raises so many questions. It's kind of like the mm. Cars universe and Pixar, where it's like the more you think about it, the weirder it gets. And like the more implications, kind of disastrous implications, it can start to have. And I think you're right, Charlie, that you really do have to just sort of buy into it. Because if mm. you don't, if you keep questioning it, if you're too much of a skeptic, maybe, it, it's hard to sort of appreciate what this film is saying about the moral quandaries of is it okay to murder your stepdad if he abuses your mom? <laughs> right. I don't yeah. know. I thought we, we addressed this in you, the new series on Netflix, but I don't know. But Will Ashen, what about you? I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. hundred percent. Yeah. I feel like there was a moment to Charlie's credit where like after the movie ended and I saw the full picture of what Stephen Knight was trying to do with this movie where um, maybe it wasn't immediately after, but like maybe an hour after was like, wait, is this actually a brilliant movie that I'm not taking full appreciation of? And I was like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> but like, this is not the Truman Show. Like, this is not like a movie where it's like actually commenting on real life in like a way that's actually meaningful and powerful. I'm sorry. Like, I don't I don't mean to like you take away from anything you. Oh, uh, no, 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 not, not at all. This is one of the only times when it's like. I'm going to argue that it's a fantastic movie, but if someone argues against me, I don't think they're wrong. Right. I, like I believe it to be great, but at the same time, like I completely respect and understand thinking it's a bad movie. I, I, I will fight for it, but well, I get, yeah, it. no, I, I just mean that like, if, if somehow this movie helps somebody in some way, like I, whatever, like I, I don't want to like take away from anyone's appreciation of this film in any way. And if there's some, like considering this movie deals with abuse, like I don't want to take anyone's uh, meaning of this film away from them, but like, like I just don't get it. Like I don't know what Stephen Knight was thinking. Like, oh, like a thirteen-year-old kid is going to make a video game that's based on fifty noir cliches. Like, oh, and like, and like Anne Hathaway is going to have a mole because she's like obviously a female fatale. And it's just like, oh, we're gonna have the, all these cliches, and like, I, it feels to me like he was, like, in some kind of Ernest Hemingway type, like, some kind of bet with like uh, another writer where he's like, you lost this bet, like, so you're gonna have to make this movie where you have to make a thriller, like a ex erotic, sexy '90s type thriller where you have to deal with fishing, murder, and video games. Like, good luck. I hope you make your movie fine. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like, how am I going to deal with that? And it's like, okay, I guess I can kind of get like the murder aspect. Okay, that's fine. I can get behind that. Fishing, okay. Like, he has to like throw the person overboard. Fine. How do Moby I get the Dick, video games into it? Right. It's like, yeah, like the old man, the sea thing. Like, I don't know if it's one of those things where, because Stephen Knight, I think he's a fantastic writer. Like, I don't 
want to dispute him. And I do think like he has some more, some smart ideas going into this film. And I feel like he has proven himself to the point where it's like, okay, I can see why producers and maybe Matthew McConaughey. And I will say Matthew McConaughey, a lot of his films deal a lot with spirituality in a way, like even films I don't think are good, like sea of trees or, um, a film I actually think Interstellar is good, but a lot of people don't think that's good. Like I think those movies deal with spirituality in a way and family relationships in a way where I can see where as an actor, like what he's trying to do with this film. But I don't think this film is good at all. I don't think this is a good script in any means. And I just don't think that what he was trying to accomplish or what Stephen Knight was trying to accomplish is any good. I just don't think it's a good film at all. See, sorry, sorry me, Charlie. I- no, no, you're good. I, I, I understand that argument. I respect it. I'm what I'm looking at is um, maybe not the abuse angle as much, but as at the the very real topic of uh, of what kids attach to and, and what young people attach to. And, and you look at this kid and you look at these crazy characters that are in this game like that's all that kid knows because he doesn't have a father raising him. He His lasting memory of his dad was fishing. That's the last thing he remembered with his dad. Right. And yeah the only adult interaction he gets is the, the principals and teachers at school who, you know, are kind of the, the moral compass there, I guess, but it, he doesn't really talk to them much. What he knows about adults are what he sees in movies and video games. That's it. Or his abusive stepdad beating his mom in the hallway because we hear it multiple times in the movie. So like all the daddy lines and stuff like that comes from yeah. real life and, and that's all he knows. And so when he, writes these characters in this game they are written from a perspective of all this 13 year old boy knows about real life about adults in real life like why it's so so skewed to him why would he base the movie so much in noir elements then like why would he make a movie that's so much like a 50s noir film based on those elements like i can get i can get behind that if it was like maybe I don't know. Like I maybe because fishing doesn't seem super relatable to me, and I apologize if anyone. Like I know fishing is a big thing for a lot of people, <laughs> including Maverick, our our co-host. But like I just don't feel like that doesn't. Like I feel like it's going to be alienating for a lot of people. I don't know, John. Do you feel that way in any way? I was thinking about this, and I really don't know. I was thinking of Bioshock a lot with the noir. Mm. If sort of like this is how a kid views noir films. I also thought about like you know, Home Alone, where he's watching the fake, you know, like, and my Tommy gun too, you know, like it, it is sort of like a noir through the lens of a child. That's not where this film loses me though. I can totally believe that a kid who watched like a few noir films growing up would like have this sort of like weird fantasy world. Th- that all makes sense to me. It's fine. In fact, there was a moment in this movie where I was like, is this movie amazing? Because of what Charlie is saying here, where it sort of is just like it pulls the rug up from under you. It reminded me of Mother a lot in the way it does that, where it's like, oh, it's nothing but metaphors. Okay, but where this film loses me is that it does that really annoying thing where it's like kids, video games, violence, where like the equation is he's obsessed with video games but he's also super ambiguously smart. We're not going to say he's on the spectrum because that's not politically correct. Okay. Right. But, yeah, but that's the only thing I could think about in that moment was where, you know, social anxieties, of course. But yeah, he's socially awkward. He's not a man as Jason Clark says in his fantasy or whatever you would call that. Um, but 
he is going to stab and kill his stepfather. And the link between video games and violence is such a ridiculous myth. It's been debunked and disproven Mm -hmm. so many times, but it continues to be like a cultural truism. And I hate that this film, I hate that Stephen Knight comes away with this sort of like, this is the message that I'm going to give to people. And like, Mm -hmm. we talk about film a lot from like technical merits and that's all well and good. But if you're going to make a film where you're going to get a point across, I don't know what Stephen Knight is trying to say here. And that really frustrates me because like, what are you saying exactly? Are you saying, because there's a moment where he kills his stepdad, but he gets away with it. And then he's like, I think I did a bad thing, dad. And he's talking to himself, I guess, but maybe Mm. it's the metaphysical version of his dad. Who knows? But his dad is like, it's okay. That is deeply irresponsible. Like that. No, like movie. Don't do that. Like, don't, tell people who are dealing with abuse right now who have a lot of options in front of them to deal with their abuse in a mature and responsible way, not a mature way, I should say, but in a way that'll actually solve the problem and not ruin their entire life and cause them deep mental health problems because that's what murder does. This film kind of says, you know what? It's a good thing that he murdered his stepdad who the film kind of inconspicuously says that like is heightened and elevated by the video game. Like Jason Clark is so over the top terrible and you get the mm-hmm. sense that that's not really what his stepfather is really like. And I don't understand how I just watched a movie that allows that to be visible and be like, Oh, maybe he just sort of killed his stepfather and it wasn't, he wasn't as bad as what the movie is saying, but he still killed him and that's okay. That's, no, that's messed up. And I hate that so much. And that's that's no, I all I can think about with this movie. Yeah. It just yeah. completely lost uh, me. If it was like a Lego movie type situation, I'm talking about the first re- Lego movie. <laughs> I was where, like, say, we Jesus, have... Will. Like, what? <laughs> I know. <laughs> what exactly, what yeah. deleted scene from the Lego right. movie did you but there's watch? Like a, but no, but okay, I'm going to – on a serious note, I don't want to like make – I don't want to trivialize anything that's like, you know, because we're dealing with some kind of serious stuff here. But like in like a movie, like uh, that movie deals with like, you know, a fantasy world and like a real world. You know what I'm talking about with Will Ferrell's mm-hmm. like actual – character like if they could separate that a little bit and like had like a conversation you know what i mean like where it's like a little bit more serious like a little more thoughtful and this movie is so just like basic in that conversation that you're talking about and as someone on the spectrum i feel like if you're actually gonna have a conversation about that i mean yeah honestly like that's gonna be like a whole other matter but i mean like the movie is so like if you're gonna have a serious conversation about really deep stuff like you can't like just kind of like do this approach. Like you have to kind of go deeper than you're willing to go, which I don't mm. think Stephen Knight was willing to do. So I feel like the movie is like at a kind of standstill right now, where it's like it wants to be kind of deep and methodical and like kind of like okay, we're gonna be like thoughtful in this approach, but it's not. I don't think it's actually approaching this way like the way it's was doing. I don't think it's responsible at all. Like you said, John. Like yeah. I think it's actually yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, the responsible argument, I, I think that's a different argument to be had, because on one hand, I'm like, maybe he just wanted to do something crazy. And this was it. He just had this wild idea and this was it. And he wasn't going for more. But there are times when he goes for something deeper. And and John, I see what you're saying. And I think that um, where I the more I thought about it, kind of the more the thing that I really gravitated towards um, was I, I don't think that it was a oh violence is because of video games. Like from what it seemed to me, uh, it was this 
okay, the video game, the rules of the game were trying to tell him not to do it. Like the video game was not a violent game. He was reprogramming it because he was so freaked out by his real life situation. And the game was so against it because the rules were trying to hunt him down and say, you can't, they were trying to block his code. Like you can't do this. This is not part of the game. Stop. And he was really like in his own head. And part of, I think what it was trying to say was the balance of, of reality and of fiction and of being lost in the computer and in your own world. Because you know, like th- this kid started getting the lines blurred. He had his dad here and that's what really like started making it too much. You know, so by, by the end of the the movie after the twist, when the dad's like, it's okay. N- we, we all know it's not okay, but that's the kid telling like he, it's justifying it to himself because he's so sucked into this world. That's not real. And it's actually, it's harming him just as much as it's helping him. Um, and we kind of learn and see kind of the, like the dangers of, Okay, if he's completely in real life and not in his game, you know, Jason Clark was talking about, I want him to go outside and throw a ball. Okay, not every kid needs that, dude. Like, that's not how every kid operates. Kids are different. And we need to help them learn and develop the way that makes sense for them. And for this kid, obviously, that was with his computer. But at the same time, on the other end of the argument, this kid was too invested in his in his fantasies his dad is, is gone and he did not cope with that correctly. And, and it resulted in really weird real life consequences. And so he got lost in this middle ground, but he kept justifying it to himself because the game was telling him it was okay, which that was his creation as well. And it kind of really perpetuated this, like there need to be conversations about, okay, where we're investing our, our time and our thoughts and our emotions um, and, and where the balance is to be found. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things I was thinking of during this, and I, I was annoying me that I was thinking about this, was how, you know, when you actually look at people who have committed like mass shootings, uh, there's one in particular who they tried to link his like video game usage. And what they found was like the game that he played all the time, I think it was the Newtown shooter. The game he played all the time was Dance Dance Revolution. Mm-hmm. And. So like for years, there's been this argument that like the introverts who are on their computers all the time, who get sucked into these worlds, there is a story to be told about how these, how sometimes like, and us included, like we can get so sucked into the internet or into communities that are not IRL, can't even say it, (laughs) how, how we can sort of become these very toxic hateful human beings that we wouldn't be otherwise. But to me, the, the, this film doesn't really lay that out. I, I think that it can incidentally lead you to sort of the interpretation you got, which sounds mm-hmm. like it's positive and it's uplifting and it's a little bit more nuanced maybe. But I guess I'm thinking more for a lot of people who are going to watch this and take away something completely different. And I think that's what's really tripping me up and what's making me think like the film it is so direct with like what it's saying, like in its sequence of events. And if you have to do so much work to get to the point where you're like, well, maybe it's not really saying that it's saying this. And you can, you kind of have to do a lot of extra work. I I guess that's where I get tripped up and Mm -hmm. I I can't get on that same boat, but I I understand where you're coming from because like, it it was really that moment when he said, it's okay. When the dad said, it's okay. That I was like, no, it's not okay. Because I was waiting for the film to reckon with what it was doing and to sort of say, because if, if he had killed his stepfather 
And from there, the film had been like a cautionary tale or it had been like, you know what? Like, this is what the film was. Here's the takeaway. It was setting itself up for that because it even had Jiman Hansu kind of saying like, you know, the deliver us from temptation and like, you know, I'm not saying the movie, every movie has to have a good ending that I agree with from an ethical level, but it was setting itself up for that sort of thing. And then at the very end of it, it said it, it sort of had this happy music swells kind of manipulative moment of like, this is a happy ending. And I don't think that jibes with the sort of like, it's not a happy ending. He's going to have to deal with this with the rest of his life. I, I don't think that that's really quite there. And that, that's why I can't mm. get quite on the same train, but that, yeah, not even that's my biggest issue with the film, but I have so many others that we haven't even touched <laughs> on. Like, Again. Like, um, yeah. I feel like my biggest question of all the questions I have in the film is why did his, this 13 year old, have his deceased father be a gigolo part-time in this why video game he did created? he fantasize about his dead dad yeah boning diane lane what is i'm that not about? even talking about like not even diane lane just why was he a gigolo like and period like why is he a gigolo like okay, it doesn't make any sense I, I have a defense for this i've thought about this one so much because that was one of my biggest questions leaving it um i don't i don't look at it as so part of me and i'm gonna get really weird here Part of me doesn't completely think that that the son like created every single thing his dad did because I think like that there was because there was a weird overlay like once or twice in the movie about like computer sentience and stuff and I think that there was an element. Oh, that's, I was going to ask right, about this. Yeah, that it guys, was like yeah. the character's kind of taking kind of his own path and stuff as things happen um, in different situations. I mean, the kid was obviously programming the overall arc, but Diane, you know, there was there was a time when the rules talked about the different games you can play. And you think about a video game and I thought a lot about um, like about about point farming or coin farming or whatever you want to call it in a game. You know, say you're playing Fallout and you don't have enough caps to, to, to do a certain thing like, you know, that you can continue to take scrap to the guy in um, in Megaton and you can keep going back and taking scrap. You know where to find scrap. You can take it to him and you can get caps for that. Um, and Diane Lane's character was that. She, she, you brought the cat back to her or you visited her. It was for sex in this thing. That doesn't mean, you know, you don't know what it was. It might've been for that in the game from a real world, a real world perspective, but you, you accomplish a mission with her and you get money. And from an adult's brain, when you're making the movie, it's like, okay, that's an adult thing that we all understand how that works. That's an exchange that makes sense. That is him getting coins to then continue doing his fishing expedition because he, like as a player, he ran out of coins he could not – he had no more money to go on his fishing expedition. He went to this woman and talked to her, and now he magically has money to go continue to do that. That was just uh, his way of basically coin farming to to get – to keep going in his quest. But I feel like if you're going to comment on video games in particular in that regard, like why not just have him be like a gangster or something? Like why not have him be like – like uh, like – being a mafia type dude or something if you're going to comment on that directly it feels like it's weird to do like this angle in particular do you get what i'm saying there yeah no, no, I, I, I get that i get that you talking about the like the sex over that yeah it just seems like weird like that feels like more like i'm a 60 year old screenwriter who thinks like 60 noir or like 50 noir angle is going to be like the way i'm going to go for this angle it just it just seems odd for me yeah because i was thinking yeah. if this was like a real kid this would be Grand Theft Auto. 
right? Right, exactly. Like yeah. this would be like a wish fulfillment fantasy kind of open world. And I guess it was so specific that it kind of threw me off. I don't want to count that as like a negative, mm. but it 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 was something that I couldn't shake my head off. Like, why is this kid playing fishing video games? And again, we don't want to insult our fishing enthusiasts, fans of Cinemaholics. We think you're fantastic, salt of the earth. But I, I guess it's not something that I can directly connect with. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I look at it as like, okay, the fishing game is something appropriate for a 13-year-old. He can't play a shooting game. This is the game he's allowed to play on his computer because it's about fishing. Who, you know, and the mom recognizes that's how he connects with his dad. That's but, the thing that's mine. There's that. Again. But the, sorry, go ahead. No, I just, again, the fishing thing is not what we're disputing. It's the gigolo right. thing. Like, why right. is he I was disputing both, car- to be yeah. clear. Well, so, right, right. I, was, I was trying to go through point by point. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I have literally thought about nothing but this movie. Um, <laughs> so... So again, there's kind of two ways you can go with it. One, it's kind of the the, the hyper realistic of like, okay, that's just what happens in to the audience because that's what makes sense to us. But I look at this kid and I try to think about what he knows about how adults interact. And there was a couple of times in the movie once Jason Clark had gotten to the hotel, um, specifically a conversation I believe with the lady that owned the tackle shop. And she was telling McConaughey, oh, they, they, he was beating her or they had sex or whatever. They were going for hours. You could hear it through the walls and all this stuff. And I, I, after that, I, I thought about that for a while. I'm like, okay, this kid, it was very clear he hears what happens with his mom and his stepfather. So it would make sense for him to hear the sexual part too. And he's a very, very, you know, um, a very uh, introverted kid. He doesn't talk to a lot of adults outside of his teachers at school who Jimon Hunsao represents that and he talks he he knows his parents at home and he doesn't know much else other than the abuse and the sex like that's all he that's all he can kind of re, you know, re, uh, reproduce from adult interactions and so to me it's like okay like the why is his mom so sexualized oh because that's what his stepdad wants and that's what he hears through the wall you know because when she talks to his real dad she's not that person he remembers the conversations with his, his dad, real dad and his mom and how they went and everything she does around Jason Clark is very much, you know, she is this hypersexualized being with him around. And I think that kind of translates to the relationship between Diane Lane and Matthew McConaughey as well, because it's like, I don't know how these grownups interact in her bedroom by themselves. Well, this is all I hear through my wall. So this is what makes sense to me. So yeah, and then guess- obviously the cat, symbolizes he had to go find the cat because the cat got lost and his mom was like, go find the cat. And so he mm. turned that into a fetch quest. See, yeah. maybe, for... maybe we took it differently. I thought, I thought the game was one that was, had kind of already existed and he was going in and, and adding things and reprogramming a game that, that, that already existed. So I was curious I, about that too. Yeah. Did he build it from scratch? Because they kept saying things of like, he's a genius. So scratch, it's, it made yeah. me wonder yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it was a game that existed and like, because find the cat and mm-hmm. uh, catch the coin. Like there were, there were games that already existed within it. And he's like, he was basically kind of piecing it apart and adding his own thing into it. And that's why the rules was trying to find Matthew McConaughey. Cause it's like, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. The creator didn't plan this because I was confused for a minute. Like why would the, if the kid created the game, why then is the kid like, why can't he change the rules? He's the creator. Who cares? I think because he's not the original creator of the game, he became the creator of the game when he started changing everything and adding the storyline to it. Yeah. I feel like for me though, I feel like if Matthew McConaughey was like the asexual character in the film, 
and like he was the one that was just kind of like so i mean it would be weird but like he if he was like the i gotta get this fish or i gotta do this mission thing but like and maybe if um the other characters were sexual that would make that theory would make more sense i just feel it's very weird that he personally would pick matthew mcconaughey his avatar in this situation and be the one that's like at least somewhat very sexual is just very odd to me. I just don't really get that logic personally. Yeah. I, I, the way that I, I thought about it for me, I I'm with you there. Like that was the one thing I hung up on for a while. And I guess the way that I explained it with in, I've only talked to like my own head about this. Um, <laughs> like it is, that's what he remembers from his, he remembers his mom and dad's relationship. And that's what he thinks adult men strive for is sex. And so, cause whenever Matthew McConaughey did anything sexual, it wasn't about sex. It was about getting to the next thing, you know, when he was dying. Money, yeah. He, he he got right up every time when it was Anne Hathaway. He was like, okay, that's done. I beat him or whatever. You know, it was very like instant. Okay, this Efficient, is over now. Yeah, and it's kind of like he knows this is what adults do, but he's not necessarily comfortable with it himself. So when he was done, the like it was over. Okay, cool. I am. This is not where I want to be, but I had to do it to get to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it all... just feels like. No, go ahead, Will. It just feels like a lot of this stuff makes sense on paper, I guess, mm. if that. Like, it feels like, like, if you describe this, like, maybe that's what got Anne Hathaway and Matthew McConaughey involved. Like, if you describe this on paper, it makes a little bit of sense. I just feel like in execution, it just feels very bizarre and, like, impersonal. Well, I was going to say... As a directorial choice, yeah. I was going to say gross. Because my, mm. my thing yeah, well, this... I didn't want to go that far, but yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's all gross. And, like, I get that it's supposed to be cohesive in a... It, this is what a 13 year old, like a world, the world of a 13 year old is like this really messed up, you know, dystopian sort of like he's modding a video game. I understand that. And he's going to like put himself into it and his weird sort of half baked interpretations of the world are in full steam. But I think but why would uh, a 13 year old's interpretation of the world be based on stuff that was outdated by the 90s? Yeah, that part that's I can't. A, I can't. I can't reach yeah, you on that. Uh, one. Like I said with with the game, the specifics of the game. Like I just think that's what the game was. I don't think he designed think those was, things. You think it's the like, game was noir to begin with? And right. Then I mean, he it, added other was, things. Was kind of simple, and it was you know there. It was just a constant game of MacGuffins, like just like any video game. You know, I've been playing the uh, the Metro series a lot, like, getting ready for the new one, and it's very much like. But did they establish that story? But did he establish that he did not invent the game? Because it sounds like the newscast is like he's like a uh, IT genius, like a tech whiz that was like yeah. invented from the ground up. So it feels like, as far as the movie's logic is concerned, like he invented everything from the ground up. He invented that the fact that it was a video game about fishing and all this jazz. Like, so that's where it feels like this definitely feels like a sixty-year-old screenwriter wrote this film. Unless right. Stephen I, Knight, I, I, unless Stephen Knight is saying, "Hey, you have to be an IT genius to mod video games," <laughs> or you have to be a sixty-year-old to be as genius as I am to make a movie about noir elements about fishing and murder. Yeah, see, and, well, Ashton, I, I think I you're just. I, ups- I don't necessarily think that. I, I think Will is just upset because he doesn't like video games. Oh, yeah. sure, yeah. That's- <laughs> that's why. That's why I hated uh, Ready Player One and gave it a B minus, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, you said it, not me, but yeah, sure. But yeah, no, I, I, I kind of see it. Like, I think there was a line where they, like, Anne Hathaway was mentioning like his game and, and playing this game that he got. You know, like, I, I feel like there was a line. I can't remember what it is. Basically, saying like it wasn't his game. 
it was a game that he was just playing into. And I, I guess I didn't take the connection of like, oh, he's not IT genius because he made a game. Just like, no, yeah. he's a very, he's it's a really more believable. Kid. Yeah. It's way more believable that he added onto an existing game, but mm-hmm. I guess that's where it loses maybe, me is because maybe you that's can't just tell. Right. Well, you can't tell though, then if that's the case, like what's him and then what's not because like, his fantasy is being in the ocean naked with his naked dad because like it's things like that where I'm just like, once the film is like, here's what it is. I'm just like, well, this isn't the cover of Nirvana. Like, I don't understand why he's, you know, like there are some things that I'm like, that makes sense. Of course, a kid thinking of like a macho masculine dad figure would be like, I got to take a shower and like jumps off a cliff naked. Yeah. hundred percent. When I was 13, totally would have bought that. But then like other things like your wife died, I can't catch any fish. You know, it's stuff like that where I'm like, that doesn't seem human. And it, it bothers me that the implication is that he's so shut off from the world that he's this peculiar, I don't know. It, it, or, it just, uh, it all rubs me very, wrong yeah well i like to imagine i I was gonna imagine like honey dinner's ready no i gotta program you being naked while my your stepdad is you viewing your naked body for inspections and if there's anything (laughs) imperfect and we have to do something about that hang on one second it's gonna take 15 (laughs) minutes like it's just like what is happening like (laughs) well same because that that's the real life that he knows like like there are dudes that are that controlling and that horrible and yeah, that's true, yeah. like I said, I think uh, some of those bits of dialogue, like like the we've all played games, I guess maybe not will. Um, <laughs> I just learned this. <laughs> that's but true. like all there right. are, yeah, there are weird, enough, yeah. terrible lines in games where it's just like that. Like there I, I'll go back to the fallout analogies because like, I've played that game more than probably any. And if you have played a game like that, you know, like sometimes they'll give you more like two or three options to respond to with. And you're like, I would not respond with any of these things. They're all completely asinine. But you just go with it. Because especially if the game's a little bit older, you know, if it was easy for them to hack into and do whatever, like it's, you know, it, it makes sense for them to have just a weird, terrible line. And that's, I guess that's, I found that balance and maybe it's only in my head. That's the only reason I can, I can cope with it. But like, there's a weird balance of some of it's just a game that he was given and some of it is his own creation. And, and he, there's a balance in there to be found. Like there's a, a line in there to toe um, you know, between you know, what's his and what's not. I, I see a missed opportunity on that note because th- there is a story there where you can you can tell a story about how decisions we make in video games they can make complete sense and they won't mm-hmm. violate our code of ethics because it's a video game. But when it comes to real life, you know the rules are totally different. That that's where this movie works for me is because like this idea of like the rules of life and the rules of video games, how do they coincide? How do you reckon with them, especially as a teenager? And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a message that fully coincides with my personal, you know, hangups when it comes to like coverage <laughs> of violence in video games, because th- that just, just to me is personally something that I wish people would stop, you know, spreading misinformation about. But regardless I do think there is a missed opportunity there. I think there is a cool story there. I guess this film just loses me because in the execution, 
it it just raises so many bizarre questions that don't once you answer them to me they don't improve the final product because i still had to sit through this thing wondering what in the world i was watching and we haven't even mentioned this but this is this is one of those rare films where the big twist happens halfway into the movie Mm-hmm. There really aren't that many twists afterward. I mean, at that point, I can't imagine most people were thinking that the dad was like alive or something. Like, okay, you can basically even if even if you get to that point in the halfway part of the film, you're like, okay, well, the dad clearly died in Iraq mm-hmm. and like all that stuff, and like, but then they play it tor- sort of as like a revelation later on. But for you guys, I mean, did the film lose steam for you after the big twist because? I, for me, it didn't, it didn't, if only because like, I was kind of sympathetic. I was like, well, they're doing this in the halfway part, I guess, because they're giving the film time to reckon with this earth shattering thing. But then at the same time, I stopped caring about everything. And I already didn't care that much because I was like, nothing (laughs) that I'm seeing matters. It's just sort of like a battle for this kid's soul. But it's looking like he's going to kill his dad. So I guess just take us to that part where he kills his stepdad and then it does. And then so on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me personally, I am pretty much with you, John. I feel like if the movie is actually going to have a serious commentary on this stuff, I feel like they should push that more for me. It was like, okay, at the 45 minute mark, it's like, Oh, you revealed your hand. Like, wait, is this really what we're going to do with this? And then at the 65 minute mark, it's like, okay, yeah, I guess, okay, uh, well, okay, yeah, this is what we're doing. Yeah, and then that raises so many questions. But at that point, I, I agree with you where it's like, I don't, I'm not fully invested in dramatic stakes of the film because I know there are no dramatic stakes. Like, this is all a video game. Like, this is not, like, anything can basically happen at this point. You can drive down the cornfield with your rum in hand, your bottle of rum in hand. And it's like, yeah, I guess you can do that. Yeah, because it's a video game. Why not? And it's like, yeah, it it doesn't quite hit me as hard in that regard. And I feel like mm-hmm. there's a better version of this film. If you really want to dive into that, yeah, and, and divide and go into the commentary on what comment, like if you're going to comment on what video games are and the commentary on what they do for society, there's certainly a better way to do it than this. Yes, yeah, 100 percent. But um, yeah, it didn't really hit me in that regard for sure. See, I, I do agree with both of you guys. I think like there, there probably was more. There was more to say. Like there was a, there was stronger cases to make, um, different things to say. And and like there are other movies that'll do that. And it, I guess to me, this looked like Stephen. I had an idea, and he's like, "Oh, I'm going all in, and we're going for it." And I, I so appreciated the guts of that. But I, I loved the way the twist happened in a sense of like, you know, I, I, like I said earlier, I wish I didn't know there was a twist because it really would have shocked me, because you know, going into it, I was like, what is the twist? What, and the whole first half of the movie, I'm trying to figure out what it is. But then there's that conversation with the rules in the trailer where he's my favorite character. Yeah. The best character in the movie. And he's like, this is what this is. And I guess to me, it's like, I, you know, from someone who watches so many movies, it's like, okay, this is probably like, this is crazy. But also I was kind of hanging on to like, but is that what's really happening? Like, because McConaughey, if there's, just like with Tom Hardy in Venom, this is very much like if these actors didn't buy, did not buy into this, this movie like does not work on a single level if the actors don't completely sell out. And they did. They all were like – Jason Clark especially was just like all in. Um, and McConaughey the entire time, like he sold it. And so 
to me, it was like, you've got this, if you're going to kind of, I, I, maybe I just, I took that sentient line way too much to heart, but I was like, kind of, is this going to, is this going to be real? Is this going to become real? Like how real is it to this character? How real is Makane? Did the kid like somehow find a way to upload his dad's consciousness? Like, is this actually his dad thinking and feeling? Um, and we got to see it play out like, okay, is this actually happening? And that kind of lasted for 10, 15 minutes. You're like, okay, this really is a video game. Well, then how's it going to end? And it, you know, I think it, it, it really, uh, it really stretched itself out enough to the point where I continued to care throughout because I think there could have been vastly different outcomes by the end of it. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to, to sort of end it. I, I, cause I, <laughs> I, I'm emotionally drained <laughs> at this point. Um, I do want to read some of our, we asked you all on Twitter, what are your tweet oh, size yeah. reviews of Serenity? Let's, let's hear what the listeners had to say. First off, Corey Woodruff himself responded. <laughs> he, he, he said, if they don't do a tie in with Bass Pro Shops, this whole thing was for not. I don't know <laughs> if that's like, that's either a wordplay with nautical or like a, a tying a knot, but I'm not sure, Corey. Hawk Ripjaw, who uh, I know has Chris, been yeah. on, yeah, he's he's been on In An Ogre Told It's Ogre, said, I don't know if I understand movies the same way anymore. <laughs> That's his review. Uh, AJ Caulfield, uh, one of the first to submit a, a review, said, Quoth the Gwen Stefani, this shit is bananas. She said, pros, <laughs> McConaughey's commitment to the weirdness, Hathaway's dirty blonde hair, Clark's punchable face, butts for no reason. Serenity really puts the ass in asinine. Cons? Can I, um... Yeah? No, I was going to say, I, I, for all the criticism I have of the film, I do think McConaughey gives a decent performance. That's all I was going to say. Yeah, it's fine. Hathaway, he, Hathaway he and committed. Lane, yeah. at least Hathaway and Lane, like kind of know what they're, you know, they, they're, they're kind of, they feel kind of comfortable in their performance. Like you don't get the sense that they're like fighting with the actor between every take. They're just sort of like, yeah, I'm just going to be cr- like simple favor, but in a neo-noir Fisher film. Got it. I love it. And that's well, it. actually, um, on Corey's behalf, I was going to read um, this little thing that I have which uh, was our conversation about the film, which is well, that... Well, hold um, on, Malashin, because I wasn't done here. with AJ. Sorry, yeah. Because AJ's... So AJ's said her pros, which were mainly focused on Matthew McConaughey's, you know, nudity. But then the cons were literally everything else, dot, dot, <laughs> dot, daddy. Mm-hmm. You were going to say, well? Well, Corey and I were talking about the um, how... Diane Lane was convinced to do this film, which is that uh, her agent was basically like, all right, Diane, you're essentially playing a semi-widowed or semi-wealthy widow who lives alone in a seaside house who pays a shirtless Matthew McConaughey, your gigolo, Diane. Okay, that sounds in the agent. But your catch is your reality subverts in of itself at one point where you realize you're in a a uh, Bassmasters-esque Video games altered by a 12 year old somewhat mimic your tumultuous life with a big abusive stepfather. Oh, that's so you're in a video game lady who 
talks really strangely and makes tons of double entendres, is hooking up with a video game lead who's made to be a literal manifestation of your dead real father. So everything is controlled by this 12-year-old, and the main plot is him using a video game to contemplate if he's going to murder his abusive stepfather. So you pay... (laughs) We'll pay you $15,000 to spend a week in a beach house. And to do this, everyone is has turned down this. So are you going to shoot the film this week or not? I want the money up front deal. But enough about Man of Steel 2. Yeah. Sure. Oh, man. Oh, I no. I no. Yeah, can you, can you, Blake? Like, don't tell me this isn't a big step up from Martha. All right? Like, mm-hmm. she was Martha. She's taking this job. It's Matthew Conaghy. It's Anne Hathaway. It's Stephen Knight on a beach for a week. That's a giant step up from the Zack Snyder DC world. We we didn't mention too is that this was on Plymouth Island, which doesn't exist. They filmed this in Africa, and the island itself was weird because it was like a a combination of like the Bahamas and New England. So, <laughs> and you mentioned Fallout, so I'll mention yeah the uh, Fallout Four DLC has that one island you can play on, right? Where it's like all foggy and all this stuff, and it's like a fisher Actually, town. I think, I think- that's actually, I think, a Fallout 3 DLC. It's uh, Point Lookout. No, well, they have it on... Uh, no, okay. it's they, Fallout they a, 4. A, it's a very similar one, because there's a big foggy one in 3 that's... I know you're talking about. You are correct. Um, there's one I, in Fallout yeah, 3. Yeah, yeah, I, I played Point Lookout, but this sure. one was way more Fisher, mm-hmm. Fishers of Men, as we would say. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, we have other reviews to get to. Uh, DeWitt... <laughs> DeWitt said he's looking forward to this one. Jay Fontana said, was this Interstellar 2? Now we are in a computer. And I like the first one with Nathan Fillion better. I'm actually kind of impressed with us because we didn't mention that this is an Interstellar reunion. Matthew McConaughey and Anna Hathaway. Uh, This also is an I thought a lot about it. This is an Amistad reunion too because Jimon Hansu and he, uh, of course, was uh, in Amistad with uh, Matthew On a boat. That's right. And uh, we didn't we didn't even joke about Firefly, uh, which was also named Serenity about people on a ship named Serenity, which to me, it's like you you make this movie called Serenity uh, and the the movie Firefly exists. It's been around for a decade and a half. How do you not say, let's call it something else. Let's, let's call this movie something different. I just think it was such a different movie that like no one. The only reason people are connecting is because they're seeing tweets on Twitter about a Serenity movie. Like nothing about it is the same, even remotely. I think though, even if even if you'd never watched Serenity or knew what Firefly was, like it's all over Netflix. Like you, I see it all the time, and I've already, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but it it does seem like a weird. Like I wouldn't if I was it's making it's, a movie, I wouldn't make it so close to something that exists and has that big of a profile. It's being like my movie is called Avengers Infinity War, but it's different. Everybody, it's like a spy uh, movie in you know underground. Oh, I think it's one word, so it's kind of simpler. And also, like if you called the movie Justice, we wouldn't watch it. So <laughs> that's true. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Next episode of Cinemaholics, we're going to be workshopping alternative names for Serenity. But uh, sorry, you were going to say something, Will? No, I was just going to say, I, I feel like I understand where you're coming from. But at the same time, uh, I agree with you that um, I, I feel like you could change the title. Like, I mean, it's not like Serenity is like unchangeable. It's not too deeply into the plot. But at the same time, it's not so deep into the plot where it's like I, I 
don't think it's quite on the same level as Avengers Infinity War, where it's like, well, we can't change this, you know. But I, I obviously, know. I was being facetious. But yeah, I mean, if I your know, name, Serenity is a very bland name as it is. It works for Firefly because, like, that means a lot to the show. And it's like, oh, wow, like Serenity is something that's like very integral to that show. It's a great way to sort of bring the movie about. But in this movie, what's serene? Nothing. I mean, like they barely even look at the water much. I don't know. And then last we have Steve Carlson, whose tree size review was a lunatic vision that should not exist, but does a pile of bad ideas that adds up to a singular accomplishment and an impossible object, a UFO, a wonder, a marvel, and McConaughey is so all in for it. So it sounds like Steve Steve's right up your alley, Charlie. So we don't yeah. we we have to recognize where game meets game. Clearly, this is one that's working for some folks, and I, I'm glad that uh, it it isn't. I'm glad it was as interesting as it was. I'm glad I didn't watch a movie that was just nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I it provoked a reaction, which. Yes, that 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 to me game. is a better situation. Game means game, Daddy. <laughs> game no, I, recognizing. You're right, John. Yeah, I, I really wish this was like I I so badly wish instead of moving it to January they would have sold it to Netflix because this could very well be a, a big Netflix movie and if it was, yeah. it would be another Bird Box. It would be everyone would watch <laughs> it and we could talk about it with everyone in the world. That's right, and I would love that so much. I'm surprised as many people responded to the Twitter poll <laughs> as uh, as they did. So <laughs> clearly some folks actually went out and saw this. And what does that tell you? But all right, that'll do it for this last call. We went a little long, but I'm glad we did because it was, uh, I think, some very insightful conversation. And a lot of that was because of you, Charlie. We appreciate you coming on and sharing your very deep and thoughtful takes on a film that did not <laughs> deserve it <laughs> in some opinions. Mm-hmm. But uh Yes. Th- thanks again for coming on. And where can people find all of your work and everything that you're up to? Well, thank you guys for having me. Like, you and I have been talking for a while about trying to get on here. And I'm, I'm glad you're doing Serenity because I was like, I can talk about this movie. I really want to. Um, I'm, I'm comicbook.com uh, all the time. Uh, that's where you can find a lot of my reviews and things. And I tweet them on my personal Twitter at Charlie Ridgely. Uh, and anything that has to do with the Music City Film Critics Association, uh, we're trying to get that roll in the next couple of years, you know, bigger and bigger. So anything they're doing, uh, you can find me and my opinions, uh, in those places. All right. We'll see you all back here for the main show of Cinemaholics. We're going to be talking about the fire documentaries and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's going to be a jam packed episode. Glad we could fit serenity into this bonus because it deserved the time and conversation <laughs> we'll see you all later from the internet california i am john agroni for the internet pennsylvania i'm Wash. oh and from the internet tennessee if i get to do that i'm charlie originally <laughs> you do i was wondering is he gonna go for oh, it that's, well, i don't know if i'm allowed but i guess i am that's awesome <laughs> we'll see you next time